Sometimes language can be a very tricky thing. Words can be slippery and difficult to get hold of. In some cases, the same word can have very different meanings depending on the context. There is one such word in our passage this evening. In fact, it occurs four times. And we're never going to understand what we have just read until we wrestle with it. The word is world. What do you think of when you hear that word? For some of us, we will think of the created sphere in which we live. World is another word for universe, the environment, the earth. Most of us, when we think of the world in this way, have a very good impression of it. We live in a beautiful world, sang Chris Martin in the hit Coldplay song. The world is beautiful, it's vast and it's intricate, it's mysterious and majestic, it's powerful and vibrant. We watch the latest David Attenborough series and wonder at what we are watching. As Christians, we look at the world around us and see the handiwork of God. In wisdom, he made it all. As human beings, we are pained when we see damage done to God's good world. As we wake up to climate change, we are grieved by it and long for the world to be saved. We love the world and know that God does too. This then is one definition of the word world. But there is another very different one. Have you ever said the phrase, Shh, be quiet. I don't want the whole world to know about it. I'm sure you'll have done that at some point. What is the context of that phrase? Well, something embarrassing or shameful will have taken place and you don't want gossip about it spreading. You're trying to protect your reputation and you suspect that the people around you might be talking behind your back. In this case, the word world is not positive or beautiful at all. The world is something threatening and dangerous. The world is something working against us and we fear confrontation with it. It's like there are two sides, us against the world, and we're inherently suspicious of anyone we perceive to be on the side of the world. So here we have one word with two very different meanings. I hope I'm making sense. When we read John's Gospel, we will read this word world a lot. In fact, it's included in some of the most important verses in the whole book. So we have to work out which meaning John is using. Let me show you just two examples that we've seen in weeks gone past. This is John 1, 9 to 10. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. In that verse, is John using the word world in the positive way or the negative way? In that verse, he's using it in the negative way, isn't he? That verse is speaking of all the people who inhabit the world that have rebelled against their creator. 
The world is against Jesus here. It is full of wickedness and rejection and darkness. Let's try another one. The most famous verse of all. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In that verse, is John using the word world in the positive or the negative way? Well, at first glance, it looks like the positive. God loves the world that he's made and he wants to rescue it. And that's because it's good. But then we realise that he's talking about people. Some of whom will believe in God's son and receive eternal life. Others of whom will reject Jesus and perish. Again, John is using the word in the negative sense. Human beings living in rebellion against God. God still loves them. He's still trying to reach them. But so much of the world persists in rejecting his invitations. And actually, if you read through John's gospel, most times that John uses the word world... He is using it in the negative sense. It depicts all those people in our society who live in opposition to God. Opposition to his plans and his purposes and his people. Now our passage today began with a question from Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, another disciple. And I hope that with this introduction, you will now see that Judas is highlighting again this conflict between the followers of Jesus and the rest of the world around them. This is verse 22. Then Judas said, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Let's now think that what that question is getting at. We are in the middle of Jesus' great farewell speech. This is the night before that he was arrested. Within 24 hours, he will be dead. And understandably, this has been deeply upsetting news to the disciples. But Jesus has been urging them to see how all along this has been God's plan. Only through death could he forgive their sin and defeat the power of evil. At the end of the last section of his speech, which we read last week, Jesus had shared a word of encouragement with his friends. After his death, they would see him for a limited time before he returned to his father. And he was talking about his resurrection and the appearances that he made in those 40 days after the first Easter. But this has confused Judas. He's grateful for this promise that he and the other disciples will personally see Jesus again. Of course he is. But why doesn't Jesus just miraculously appear before the whole world? And then everyone would put their faith in him, wouldn't they? You see, Judas still has this misunderstanding about how God's Messiah would work. He's still expecting Jesus to do something incredibly dramatic. Something so jaw-dropping that no one would doubt it. Judas still expects Jesus to act in a way that effectively will give the world no choice. They would have to turn to God. It's an extension of the mistaken belief that many Jews held at the time. That the Messiah would be a great warrior who would storm the scene and force God's kingdom on all. 
But of course this is wrong. This is not how Jesus will work at all. There is only one way that Jesus will save the world. And that is through love. And we all know that real love cannot be forced. It can only ever be chosen. None of us who are married would be happy if our spouse forced us to stay with them. That is abuse. We would be looking for a way out as soon as possible. No, real love is voluntary and heartfelt and meaningful. And that is why God gave all human beings free will. We can all choose to accept Jesus or reject him. At times we have all rejected God. That is the definition of sin. That is what we all need saving from. But even in the way that we are saved, God preserves this element of free choice. Jesus didn't come to buy our love. He didn't come to astonish us with magic tricks. He didn't use his power to coerce us at all. He came and laid down his life on the cross. He came and gave himself in order that he could make us an invitation. Come and know my love. Know my forgiveness. Know my peace and joy. Know eternal life. Here it is on offer for you. But if you want to walk away and choose your own path, I will let you. There will be no one in my kingdom who doesn't want to be there. And this is what Jesus is getting at as he answers Judas's question in verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Can you see, love is the answer to Judas's question. Anyone who loves Jesus and demonstrates the reality of that in their actions and their obedience will indeed get to know him and see him. But anyone who rejects Jesus, again a choice demonstrated in their actions, will not get to see him or know him at all. Jesus has come to save the world through love and only through love. The cross opens up this generous invitation to us all, but no pressure is involved. Now, the reality of this teaching highlights some upcoming difficulties for Jesus' friends. If Jesus is going to save the world through love, a love that people are free to choose or reject, that means there are always going to be people in both camps. In a very short time, Jesus is going to leave the disciples and they are going to be left behind to live in a world where many people have chosen against God. They are going to be left in a world of ongoing sin, a world where believers are persecuted, where they are made to suffer precisely because of their faith. Indeed, followers of Jesus will live within this challenging, disobedient world until the day Jesus returns. So how does Jesus want us to live in the world today? Well, you may have heard the phrase that Christians are to live in the world, but not of the world. Have you heard that? 
if you've been in church any time at all, I'm sure you will have done. And it's passages like this one that that phrase comes from. Jesus wants us to live in the world amongst all of its brokenness and sin. He wants us to live alongside those who up to now have persistently rejected his love for them. But he doesn't want us to live like them. He wants us to stay true to him. He wants us to stand out. For that way, some people will see the truth of God in our lives. We are to live in the world amongst all the hostility and the challenge. But we're not to live like the world. We are to go on offering love just like Jesus did. But this is going to be really hard. We know on Isla how dispiriting it can be living surrounded by non-Christians. And we have it easy compared to other parts in the world. It's really difficult to keep going with faith when those closest to us are not encouraging us in it. Well, in the next few verses, Jesus promises his friends a great resource that they will need if they're going to go on living in this world. He promises them the Holy Spirit. What was it that he said in verse 23? He and his father will come and make their home within us. Their home. Not a temporary lodging, but a permanent place of dwelling. The resource that we need to go on living in our difficult world for Jesus is the Holy Spirit. But what will the Holy Spirit do? How is this resource going to help us? Well, Jesus now describes two vital things that the Holy Spirit will do in our lives. The Holy Spirit will teach us and the Holy Spirit will bring us peace. Let's start with this teaching element. This is verses 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. (coughs) Do you remember last week we said that when John uses this word advocate, he's thinking of a law court. The Spirit helps us to speak up for God's truth. Here again, the Spirit will lead us into truth. And this Spirit is the Holy Spirit. This Spirit isn't just interested in facts. The Spirit wants to help us live the truth. The Spirit wants to guide and transform us into holy people. People in the image of Jesus. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things the spirit will teach us all that we need to know all that the disciples had failed to understand within jesus's lifetime would be made plain to them by the holy spirit all that we are confused about today when we read the bible and try to live in the present the holy spirit will help us with it can sometimes be very hard to live in this world can't it We're constantly being faced with challenges and we have to make decisions. Will we compromise our faith? Will we water it down? 
What about those moments where we're not quite sure how God wants us to react to a certain situation? In moments like these, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit's job is to constantly lead us back to Jesus, to remind us of what he said and did. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead us off in a completely new and uncharted direction. The Spirit will work through our conscience to help us correctly apply the gospel in our workplaces and our neighbourhoods and our families. The Spirit will bring alive the scriptures when we read them so we know how to respond to the situations that we are facing later that day. The Spirit will always be trying to teach us and lead us to be more like Jesus. After all, the more like Jesus we become, the more the world around us come to hear of his love. So Jesus is going to give his followers the Spirit who will teach them the truth of how to live for him in our challenging world. The second thing that the Spirit will do is bring us peace. This is verse 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Notice the negative use of world again. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In the Jewish context, people use the word shalom or peace as a greeting or a word of farewell. When the world speaks of peace, it does so as an expression of hope. A hope that through the rest of your day, you will come into peace. In truth, it's a wish. It can never be any more than that. But Jesus says that he can grant us the full reality. He can give us peace. Second, when the world speaks of peace, it speaks of peace that is conditional on outward circumstances. When we wish people peace, we we wish that the rest of their day will be easy. Jesus is offering a peace here that persists, even in difficult situations, even when our hearts are troubled. Now, how can this be? Well, it's all down to a misunderstanding that we often make. When we think of peace, we often think of it as an absence of something. Peace is the absence of war or the absence of violence. However, Jesus thinks of peace as the presence of something, the presence of something positive. True peace comes from knowing that you are loved. True peace comes from knowing that you are forgiven. True peace comes from knowing that God's presence is with you and in you. Peace comes from the guarantee of life after death. Peace comes from the promise of a world put right. Peace comes from knowing eternal life. A life so rich the sufferings of the present begin to pale into insignificance. True peace is much more than just an airy-fairy feeling. It's a promise. It's a relationship. It's a presence. And it only comes by knowing Jesus and having the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is what Jesus means when he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not. 
be afraid. Notice he is not promising his friends an easy ride once he leaves. At times their mission to live for him within the challenging world is going to be difficult. But Jesus is promising to give them all that they need to do the task ahead of them. He will give them the Holy Spirit of teaching and peace. Now our passage ended with Jesus saying one other thing that is important about the world. He is going to overcome the prince of this world. In verses 28 to 31, Jesus once more expresses his confidence in his father's plan. He demonstrates that he's at peace, even though that he knows the horrendous suffering of the cross lies only hours away. After all, he's going back to his father, the one who sent him. He's going back to the majesty of heaven, which he gave up when he stepped down to earth. He's going back to the throne room. And that's a good thing for him. But now Jesus explains that he's told the disciples this so that when the horrible events of the next 24 hours take place, they will know that the father's plan is at work. But just listen to how he finishes this. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. I hope that we can see by now that this is another very negative use of the word world. The prince of this world that is coming is Satan, the devil, the architect of evil, the driving force behind all the rebellion in human society. The reason that there is a battle going on between the followers of Jesus and the challenging world that we live in is because Satan is at work leading people to reject God's love for them. We know from chapter 13 that Satan has already caught hold of Judas Iscariot. Right at this moment, he is bringing an army of soldiers to Jesus in order to arrest him. That army is only footsteps away. As Jesus speaks his final words, he's urging his disciples, do not be afraid. Yes, at the cross, as I close my eyes and die, Satan will think that he has won. But nothing could be further from the truth. Evil has no hold on Jesus, for he is without sin. He is perfect. He is divine. And the light of God's holy love will overcome all the darkness. When Jesus rises again, a huge wound will be inflicted on evil, a wound from which it will never recover. And when the disciples see this take place, they will know that God's plan has worked. They will see that Jesus is Lord. They will see his victory and they will know that the prince of this world has been defeated. And this is very good news. And it will give the disciples further confidence to go on living within the world, but not of it, once Christ has returned to his Father. We've covered a lot of ground, so let me stop and summarise what we have thought about. For a while, followers of Jesus like us have to live within the world. 
And by that mean we, we have to live in a place of sin and suffering. A place of rebellion where many of our neighbours have rejected God. The world is a place where though defeated, evil is still at work. So we will encounter opposition and challenge to our faith. But we're not to hide away. We're not to try and take ourselves out of the world. Neither are we to give in and allow ourselves to become like the world. Instead, we're to live boldly, allowing God's invitation of love to go out through us. To keep us going in this challenging world, Jesus has made the way for the resource that we need. When we believe in him, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. The Spirit will teach us how to truthfully live out the gospel. The Spirit will bring the peace that we need to keep going. The final words of our reading were, Come, now, let us leave. And with that, Jesus leaves the room where they've shared the Last Supper and starts walking towards Gethsemane. He goes out into the night to do the Father's work. He walks the way of the cross, knowing that his Father is with him. We too are about to leave a well-lit room and walk out into the dark world. We're about to enter our mission field and try to do the work of love that God has tasked us to do. With the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we can make that journey with full assurance.